0: Hello.
1: to share your heritage or
0: traditions. If you love any of these things, you can go beyond listening and join our weekly podcast group. Simply email pbaafc at gmail.com and put your name in the subject line. Powered by Age is sponsored by the Government of Canada, New Horizons Grant, the 411 Senior Center Society, and G&F Financial Group. Hello and welcome to Powered by Age. Powered by Age is a senior-led podcast where we are continuing this month to celebrate a lot of rich things. We have Indigenous Peoples Month. We have Pride Month, Father's Day. And today, we're focusing on International Refugee Day. And we have a special guest who Nancy will be introducing to you later and facilitating our discussion. Uh, right now, I'll say I'm Charlotte Farrell, the host, and I acknowledge that our work takes place on the unceded territories of the Squamish, Musqueam, and Tsleil-Waututh people. Unceded, meaning they didn't give it to us, and at some point, a reconciliation will occur. Uh, what we usually do right at the top is ask people to introduce themselves, and so with our connection to uh, Father's Day, I'm going to ask each person if you'll say one thing that uh, you've you brought or that is memorable to you about a father or fatherly figure. And we also have been integrating into our program movement to music. And so we have a selection from an indigenous classically trained musician, uh, Jeremy Ducher, who we'll be hearing later and doing our exercise too. So we'll start with um, Neil. Yeah.
1: Hi. My, my name is Neil Ryan. Uh, I'm a uh, poet, and uh, I have uh, a, a book available on Amazon, and it's called From the Other Side. Where is it? There it is. And I have a poem in my uh, in my book called Jack, and that's about my father. So. Oh, good.
0: We'll be if, hearing that later. <laughs>
1: If we have time later on, uh, I'd have uh, that would be my sharing about my father.
0: That'll be great. Um, Chris,
2: I'm Chris Morrissey, and I uh, am part of Corky, the Queer Imaging and Writing Collective for Elders, and uh, out of Britannia Community Center. I'm also a founder and volunteer with Rainbow Refugee Committee Society. And um, one thing about my father, uh, one of the things that I learned from my father is, is, the, is justice and injustice. Um, justice for him, perhaps a little different than I understand it, but it was something that was very important to him in his life. And he did put his money where his
0: mouth was. Thank you. Great,
3: thank you. Elisa? Um, Hi, thank you so much. And I'm really glad to be here. I'll turn my video on just for a moment. Um, so uh, I, my name is Elisa and I'm a travel concierge and I have a, tr- a tour company called Social, Social Impact Tours. And I'm really excited to hear Nancy's interview and to be here with everyone today and I will leave it at that and thank you very much.
0: Oh, Jenny. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Leslie.
2: Mm-hmm. I'm Leslie Hebert, and I live in New Westminster. <clears throat> I'm an ESL teacher and a writer currently working on a travel memoir of a trip to Japan. And Memories of My Father. Um, yeah, I'm thinking about what Chris said about justice. Um, I remember My father was a soldier in the Second World War, and he never said much about the war, usually nothing really very serious. But at one time, he mentioned that he was guarding a prisoner of war camp and that he would give the prisoners cigarettes through the fence. And I said, but Dad, they were the enemy. He were being nice to the enemy. And he said, they're just people, just like us. And that stayed
0: with me all my life. Thank you. Very good memory. Um, Jenny? Jenny, what we're doing, right at the beginning, uh, people just briefly introduced themselves, and we were saying, because we're also honoring Father's Day weekend. If you had a memory of a, or a comment about a father as a fatherly figure in your life, um, I
2: really just came on this to to um, listen to everybody. But yeah, um, my name is Jenny Moss. I'm the coordinator at MAP, and I know Chris. Chris, it's good to see you. Nice and I think Hassan you. is on this call too. Lovely to see you, Chris. Um. Yeah, it would have been my father's 95th birthday last weekend. And so I was thinking about him quite a lot. Um, He was quite a character, built the Channel Tunnel. So he was a civil engineer. I looked up to him a lot, although he was not an absolutely perfect person. But um, he taught me to get up early in the morning, get out, take a walk, listen to the birds and it's not something I can do every day, but I really appreciate it because it starts the day off very positively.
0: Thanks, well, everyone. Sounds wonderful. Uh, Christine? Betty? Christine, can you hear me? We're just introducing, people are just introducing themselves, and if they want to, saying a brief word about, you know, what Father's Day means or something that they recall from a father a fatherly figure maybe she's away from her phone okay that brings us to nancy who had the distinct wonderful experience of pre-interviewing Ash speaker she's going to introduce him today aside from introducing herself
1: yes i'm so excited for this conversation with hassan that we're going to have today my name is nancy sinclair and uh, it's interesting you asked a question, Charlotte, about uh, impact from my father. I just had this conversation with somebody yesterday. And my father, That the re- words I remember him saying is, like, I never have to do anything. I never have to do anything. And that was a real emphasis of his. You know, I could choose. I could, you know, decide. But there wasn't anything I ever had to do. And that was very powerful.
0: Okay, and so now would you like to introduce our speaker? I would. I'm so excited. So, again, my name is Nancy Sinclair,
1: and welcome everybody to our Powered by Age. And we're here to recognize International Refugees Day is June 20th of this year, and it's to raise the state of awareness of refugees around the world. And we are truly honored to have with us Hassan al Kantar, who now is a permanent resident of Canada. He's here to share his story with us. He was raised in a prosperous Syrian home, is the middle child of a mechanical engineer and nurse, and he is known as the man at the airport after he spent seven months at the Kuala Lumpur International Airport. Now a permanent resident of Canada, based in Vancouver, he's employed by the Canadian Red Cross and continues to advocate for refugees around the world. He's also the author of his newly published book, Man at the Airport. And uh, we just would love to welcome you,
4: Hassan. Thank you very much for having me. It's such a pleasure to be with you all. I feel uh, blessed, actually, to hear all uh, the stories about fathers. It's such a huge topic for me, and my father. And uh, it brings such uh, memories. Uh, and uh, it's one of the hardest and toughest subjects I can ever imagine speaking about, even writing about. I remember myself writing about my father, especially the day he passed away. Um, I could not write that chapter. I kept delaying it because I knew what was waiting for me. So I, I was sweating, shaking. I will write a word or two, line or two. Then I will run outside the house. Uh, having a walk, or a cup of coffee, or a quick shower, then I would go back to write another line until I finished speaking about my father. He's my forever ideal. And uh, I believe now sitting here in Canada and uh, think thinking back about uh, my father, he knew somehow that life uh, will be tough on me, and I'm going to face some serious situations. So I love to believe that he knew that, and he prepared me since I was kid, physically and mentally. He used to take me to our olive farm every weekend to work, and uh, the same day he will grab at night he will grab a book and read to me. Uh, I think uh, uh, discuss politics, history, uh, culture, everything. So. The day he uh, died, uh, I was in jail in United Arab Emirates. It was New Year's Eve 2016, and I could see and uh, hear the fireworks, people celebrating New Year's, and uh, I was sitting there uh, in in my cell alone, uh, on the floor, no bed, no pillow, just two blankets, one as a mattress and one as a pillow. Uh, looking at my small window, and waiting for the sun uh, to rise so I can call my family. That was one of the darkest and lowest moments in my life. That's when I thought that, I'm done, uh, uh, there's nothing more I I want from this life. uh, uh, So... um, I will, give it, I, I will give it all, I will give it all now, just to, for him to, to see him for a minute and to tell me how did I do.
1: I can imagine, I can imagine. For those of us, and for those in our audience now, and, and uh, that listen to the recording later, that aren't necessarily familiar with your story and your experience, um, you were born and raised in Syria, could you share with us just uh, and give us a bit of background of what life was like growing up in Syria?
4: Um, it's it's strange how the uh, uh, human mind works. The minute you leave your country, uh, your mind will start deleting all the bad memories you have, and uh, all of a sudden, your country will be this ideal place, uh, the most beautiful place, and uh, that's Syria for me. Uh, Syria, and that's for the people who don't know much about Syria. All what they know is what they're hearing now from the news uh, about the war, refugees, uh, displaced people, all the uh, distractions going there, all the humans suffer. But they don't know much about Syria before the war. Uh, Syria is one of the oldest civilization on Earth, with a 10,000 year of civilization. Damascus, actually, which is the capital of Syria, is the oldest inhabited city on Earth. Um, People, proud people words like um, dignity honor generosity uh, means something there and uh, it's the code we're uh, uh, planning all our life um, it used to be a very safe country uh, we barely heard about any crimes in syria before the war and if any crime happened or took a place that would be a huge uh, uh, thing to discuss um people are educated, culture because uh, education uh, and universities are the only weapon we can use to face the future as Syrians. We are not a rich country. We don't have oil. We are not spoiled like the Gulf Peninsula people. All what we have is our education. So you have a huge medical class, people who will provide the society with the engineers, doctors, lawyers, uh, uh, all the artists and... Uh, Life was good, just a normal life, normal people with dreams, huge dreams of building a better future. And that's why I left Syria, because I knew that um, my dreams, the things I was planning for my future could not happen work in Syria. Uh, so I left to United Arab Emirates in 2006. And uh, I started working in insurance as insurance marketing until 2011. Uh, work permit visa, and uh, my career was booming. Everything was great. At the end of 2010, I was a branch manager for an insurance company. Uh, I had all what I dreamed for. Then all of a sudden, uh, because when the Syrian war took place, uh, my destiny was controlled by others. I was no longer in control of my own destiny. So I find myself without a valid passport. I lost my work permit because of that, and I start being an illegal immigrant with uh, uh, hiding, uh, homeless, jobless, uh, uh, with no place to stay, uh, with no work. Uh, th- that was my life for uh, almost six to seven years until 2000, late 2016 when they captured me, jailed me, and then they detained me in United Arab Emirates in an immigration jail there then they deported me to malaysia after that as a syrian we know uh, that we have no options canadians may ask why he is uh, why i'm having such a limited option and that's the the power of your nationality that's the crime you did not commit but you are being uh, 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 holding responsibility because of your nationality only. Uh, as Syrians, we cannot travel anywhere we want. We need to ask for a visa. Uh, to uh, and no country ever will give us visa. So there are three, two, four countries allowing Syria on arrival visa. One of them is Malaysia. I tried Malaysia. Then I tried to go to Ecuador because and I don't want to give. Some, Too much details, not to uh, confuse the audience, but we have in the international law something called the 1951 Refugee Convention. And countries should be uh, a signatory of this convention for you to be able to seek asylum there. Uh, Malaysia is not one of them. So I could not seek asylum in Malaysia. I tried to go to Ecuador, but because of my nationality, the Turkish airline uh, employee did not allow me to board. I lost all my money. I lost everything. And then I tried a week later, I tried to go to Cambodia. And that was my last option as a Syrian. Um, they I arrived to the airport. They did not accept my entry. They sent me back to Malaysia, same day on the same plane. And that's when I stuck at the airport uh, for seven months, followed by two months in detention. So it's all about not me as Hassan it's me as a Syrian and that's when I realized that um, the whole world is judging me because of where I was uh, born and that's when I start understanding that racism could be also a geographical uh, term uh, because of my nationality the whole world is unwelcoming me and that's when I start to take it, uh, decided to take it one step farther and fight for it Let's bring some noise," I said.
1: So, when you got to the airport, you know, held at the airport your first day, of course, you'd have no reason to know that one day was going to turn into, you know, over a hundred days. You know, everything's just unfolding. You know, you'd had no idea, no way to know that at the start of being at the airport and, and, you know, not able to go anywhere, that you were going to be there for seven months, so things are unfolding. You don't know what to expect. Um, you know, can you give us an idea of what those first few days were like? Because I would imagine you were caught up in the process of, of trying to, you know, do what you needed to do to move forward.
4: It, uh, it was uh, 270 days, just to correct the, the, the math. Uh, when I the first day, uh, I knew that I'm uh, on a serious serious problem. Uh, because I knew that uh, I'm running out of options. I tried them all and they did not work. Uh, did I th- thought that it's going to be for nine months? No, I did not. Did I uh, knew that um, it's going to turn the way it turned? No, I did not. But uh, the first week I was, uh, I did not even tell my family that I'm stuck at the airport until day 38. They come to know from the news itself. Um, I tried, uh, like a reasonable person, I tried all the official solutions. I tried to contact uh, UNHCR, other NGOs, United Nations, human rights. I tried uh, even uh, uh, calling and emailing some foreign embassies in Kuala Lumpur, some public figures. Uh, I tried everything and nothing worked. And that's when I knew that... uh, uh, the only solution uh, is uh, to turn myself to the airport authorities. They will contact the Syrian embassy, get me a ticket, and send me back to Syria. And there, uh, from there, who knows what will happen? I may end up disappearing. And uh, then um, it's the same question I always ask. I asked uh, the United Arab Emirates people. I asked Malaysian, uh, Cambodian would you do the same if I was holding a Canadian, Australian, USA, or any Europe uh, passport? And a week after uh, I stopped at the airport, I discovered the answer. I I said, "No, they will not do the same if I was holding any other uh, passport. It's because of my nationality." And that's when I decided if I'm going down, I'm going down with a a fight. Uh, The small problems, the things we as a human being take for granted in life, um, all of a sudden they become major issues, major problems, uh, things we take for granted. Uh, When to sleep, where to sleep, how to sleep, where to take a shower, when to take a shower how to clean your clothes, how to dry them, uh, what to do if you are hungry, what to do if you are sick, what to do if you don't have a charger, what to do if you want even a cup of coffee in the morning. All these small details, the small things become a major problem. And it will—it's an evidence that uh, I'm not in a normal situation. The—the the smell of a fresh air, uh, the ability to control uh, the lights in your environment, uh, to turn them on or off, or the temperature—they um, are—they all taken away from me, and uh, I find myself during all the months struggle to solve these small problems. Uh, just to give myself a small hint that I'm I'm still a normal human being. And, uh, uh, and the authorities there, it was a hostile environment, especially after the media. They, uh, I was the enemy for the whole country, and uh, I was under surveillance 24 hours, 7 days a week. Uh, they were surrounding me, investigating me sometimes 7 to 8 uh, times a day, every time for an hour or two. Uh, They will make me up 2am and uh, I did not have a sense of a normal day like day and night because of the flights and the noise. Um, uh, They tried uh, all what they can to to make me give up. Uh, They denied my entry to the duty free just to eat or have a cup of coffee and the duty free was one floor above me uh, and I could not reach it. So all these small things which should le- teach us as human beings that to take nothing for granted. Uh, Do uh,
1: you use any of your writing ability to help you with your mindset through those difficult times?
4: Yes, uh, but... Um, uh, uh, I think a lot, and uh, even before the airport, uh, and uh, it's exhausting sometimes to be in my head. Uh, I think about everything, and things seems to be silly sometimes. And uh, um, it, it's my wings to escape my reality, to think and write, and uh, to live between the words. All of a sudden, the words will become your friends, and the ideas, thoughts, images in your head will become your uh, sanctuary. Uh, and it helped me. Uh, it, uh, People after uh, the media, people start uh, uh, approaching me and bringing me some books. It uh, was also good. Uh, so, but uh, with 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 authorities who are investigating you eight times a day, it's not, not the 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 perfect environment to read or to write. So no, not at all. it, it, it was a war zone.
1: Could you share with us how you started to interact and, and make that decision to use social media to start, you know, supporting yourself and, and, and counteract what was going on? Or at least get the news out. That Because, I mean, eventually you got connected um, uh, to Canadians mm. uh, that helped Laurie Cooper, correct, from the Whistler era, who's one of the oh. main people. And um, so maybe you could just share with us, you know, what started that process in terms of, like you say, reaching out and connecting.
4: It was a desperate solution, yet bland one. Uh, I did not, uh, it was not the first thing I uh, think of when I was at the airport. Uh, I did not even think about social media at the beginning because I thought... We have uh, an international community, we have laws, we have uh, regulations, we have uh, conventions, and someone should stood up to help me because uh, I'm in a dispersed situation. And when I start receiving all the uh, sorry emails that we cannot do anything, uh, even from those organizations who we as refugees are the purpose of their existence, uh, they say we cannot do anything. Then I thought um, now I'm going to find this one. I had no idea that it's going to work. But Coming from a marketing background and with some education and some English skills, I knew that it should be a campaign somehow. I should plan this one. So uh, I thought I would be myself to smile, make others smile, to show them who we are as Syrians because um, people normally will complain in such situation. If they are in my position, they will complain, they will shout, they will cry, they will uh, uh, just um, people have their own misery they have their own tragedies and I will be just someone who is crying and I decided not to I decided to make them smile and uh, I was saying always that I'm explaining my story I'm not uh, complaining and uh, I'm telling my story I'm not selling it Uh, so I planned the thing but I had no idea that it's going to work I will give you an example In day 35 and that was 10 days or 15 days after I started the social media. It did not work at the beginning. So I thought uh, I will Google myself and uh, I found three results. Two of them are linked to my tweets. And I felt, what is the point of using this? It's not clearly not working. That was day 35. But I decided not to give up because I had no other option. Uh, in day 38, three days after, uh, the first search, I did another search and it was 27,000. Wow. And that's when I knew that, uh, I got their attention now. And, uh, it's, it's, it's amazing how, uh, social media works and the power it gives you because all of a sudden, uh, Hassan the voiceless the hopeless the powerless Syrian refugee become more uh, Hassan the global citizenship um, who belong who has people individual ordinary people supporting him and speaking about him and that has a huge impact not only on the authorities in Malaysia it has a huge impact on the NGOs and the uh United Nations organization, all of a sudden they showed up at the airport and they inducted an interview, which makes me think about what about others, those who could not make it the way I made it? What about those who are voiceless and uh, they still need help? Um, th- that's what gave me the, still giving me the guilty uh, feeling that why, how did I make it why did I make it when others did not? Um, I got help. I got help at one point from people, but I, I insisted. I, I understood life because of my father. I understood life differently, and I acted uh, uh, according to that.
1: Did the um, Did you have controversy created out of it as well? As much as you started to get support for you rallying through the social media, was there some controversy that came from it?
4: Oh. Uh, thousands of thousands of negative and hate emails and uh, uh, and messages and comments. Uh, um, I was, despite, it doesn't matter what I was going to say or not say, I was embarrassing Malaysia. Uh, That's what the officials there Mm -hmm. told me, I, uh, you are a great source of embarrassing and uh, a threat for our national security, and uh, mm. to make, uh, I, I made them look bad, and for people are with the blind bit, uh, bitterness, yes. I, I call it, uh, people love their country, and they will defend it no matter what, they will not listen to you, and they will not accept any excuse you give, you are embarrassing them, they will hate you for that. So. There is one country. If you open the world map right now, there is one country who is who hates me, no matter what I did or did not do, because I embarrassed them. So um, it's not a pleasant feeling. It's it's, it's annoying. And it's a bad feeling. But it's the truth. And uh, until now, I keep receiving some bad messages, uh, even from desperate people, uh, refugees, and. Uh, Um, They ask for help, but they don't know that I cannot help. They think that somehow I owe the system in Canada, I own the system, and uh, uh, they don't even uh, think that I'm still not able to help my own family. All what I can do is to speak publicly publicly about the refugee crisis, but I cannot help on an individual level, and uh, because of that they will start cursing me and uh, send me. And I understand. I forgive them. They are desperate. They need a solution. Unfortunately, I'm not the one who can offer this or salvation.
1: And that's one of your dreams. uh, One of your dreams is to close that gap, isn't it, between the East and the West?
4: That's on a culture. Yes. That's that's why I wrote the book. It's um, uh, when I arrived to Canada people, uh, when, uh, when people ask me where I'm from, and I will say Syria, they will start uh, uh, showing all kinds of kindness, empathy, and sympathy, and they, uh, they seem to know a big deal about the Syrian war, and uh, they know something about the Syrian refugee crisis, but they know nothing about the Syrian culture, who we are, and how our, our life looked like before the war, uh, so I. Brought the book to humanize us, asians, and uh, um, to um, to make westerns understand uh, our mentality, our uh, behaviors, our traditions, our history. And uh, we once uh, um, we have been a proud nation once. We still a proud nation, very proud and. Uh, uh, dignity, uh, honor, and uh, bravery, uh, generosity—something we live on, uh, or something we believe on—and uh, and the the has changed us somehow as Syrians, and this is something I understand, but. And this is why I was saying this morning that uh, I don't think wars should be measured by uh, the numbers of casualties or uh, uh, how many uh, destroyed house. It should be measured by the impact uh, it made on those who are still living, uh, how it changed them, because it, we need decades to, to heal the souls and uh, to recover from what we have. Uh, it will go forever the same way. Uh, we feel connected with the indigenous people here. That 250 15 children we just found, and that uh, that's something. Uh, it's g- gonna be there, and uh, how long it will take us to recover and reconciliation from that. It's the same story for us as Syrians. Um, and um, uh, there is a lot to say on this behalf. But uh, my book is just an attempt. Uh, that uh, one day one day they will understand us. Uh, they, they will delete the stereotype they have in their mind. Whenever you speak about Syrians, they will think unskilled, uneducated people, kids in refugee camps with no education, no health care, tears, blood, uh, uh, bombs, missiles, air aircrafts. That's what they think uh, Syria is. And, that's not the truth. That's Assyrians uh, Syrians are skilled and educated people. All what they want is a teeny tiny opportunity and they will turn it into a, a, a liquid gold. Uh, they know how to work and they still have, although they went through a lot, they still have a lot to give back to the communities. And that's why I'm working now with Red Cross. We still have energy to give back and uh, uh, to be creative. Uh, th- that's what I was trying to, to say uh, uh, in the book. Uh, from a Syrian point of view, but it also have a personal point of view, the human soul, and how people, when they face serious serious situations, they think that uh, of giving up. And we always hear this term, uh, giving up is not an option. That's true. I cannot agree more. It's not an option, but what is it? It should be something. It cannot be nothing. From what I uh, went through, I believe it's a result. It's a result for us not trying enough, not believing in what we are doing, not uh, be in love with what we are doing. For us, looking for an instant results when life is not, and that's a lesson I learned from my father and from my olive farm. A farmer will be four to five years uh, uh, as an effort watering the, uh, the the olive trees, and it he, the tree will not give him a single olive for four to five years and he will keep working on it on a daily basis and uh, then uh, that's the contract and then it will start give him uh, all the imagine his uh, feeling when he see uh, the first olive uh, after four to five years and that's life uh, we we uh, our lowest moment our dark moment uh, is our motive and uh, if we are seeking a different result, we need to push ourselves out of our comfort zone because we need to take the risk. Uh, um, we, uh, we will discover that who we become uh, during our march towards our uh, dreams is more important than the dream itself. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, yes. and that's what I was trying to say in the book.
1: And the seeds of that journey. Would love to invite uh, any of our audience members that would love to have some questions to speak to Hassan and anything that you'd like to ask him directly. Leslie? Yeah, yeah, I have
2: a a comment and a question. So first of all, I was very touched when you said you were in the airport. Excuse me, that you said you know instead of dwelling on your misery you'd make people smile. And, and I found that extremely inspirational. And, uh, you know, I think that, you know, many people can, could turn their lives around just with that thought, right? Um, I also have a question about the background and I can't remember the year, I think you said it was 2007. Um, you were in Saudi Arabia, you had a good job, you had a good prospect, good career, and then you lost your job and became homeless. What was happening at the national level, and I, I assume this was all Syrian nationals in the country. Um, what was happening? What what changed with the government there?
4: Uh, it was uh, 2006 when I traveled the first time, and okay. it was not uh, Saudi Arabia; it was United Arab Emirates. Okay, sorry. And, okay. Yeah, okay, it's okay. It's okay. And uh, and I was doing well until 2011, and that's the year where the Syrian war started. Mm-hmm. Um the um in Syria we have something called uh, mandatory uh, uh military service. Uh so um the people who are were uh, leading a revolution uprising against the regime, uh they decided to uh get the army involved and they called us to join the army. I refused to join the army because uh, uh Uh, I did not want to be a part of a killing machine to kill uh, my own people, to destroy my own house. I did not know at that time that I'm going to be the ultimate price for this decision, but uh, I'm glad I did. I also refused to send them money because uh, uh, to pay money instead of uh, serving the military because I will be funding the war. Um, Because of that, the Syrian embassy uh, 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 refused to renew my passport. And with no valid passport in 2011, I lost my work permit. And that's when I become illegal. So I become illegal once the Syrian war started. They called me for a military service. I refused. They refused to renew my passport. So I become illegal. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome.
1: Elisa,
3: you had your hand up. Yes, thank you so much, Nancy. I appreciate that. Son, all I can say is, you know, thank you so much for sharing your story because this is incredibly impactful. And uh, Nancy, great job. Thanks for being here too for your service. Uh, I also wanted to make a comment about uh, reiterating, like piggybacking off, um, I forget who just said uh, (laughs) said something, but that, you smiled and that your reaction was different and you wanted to be, I mean, you were acting as an ambassador of Syria by having an attitude that would be so different than most. And I remember being in an airport once and there was a, it was a very small airline Uh, that a lot of people you know 50 50 whether they have a good experience or not and this this airline had canceled the flight and she was next to me and I let her go because she was crying and screaming and they you know they brought over managers in the airport because this one flight had been canceled and she was going to be stuck and it's amazing in your situation. I mean, hers was—you know—could c- easily be rebooked and then dealt with back home. And yours was—I just don't like. Where does that come from? From deep, like inside. Like that's, like there's a. I have a plaque above my computer, and it says, "Calm down, take a breath, and hold it about twenty minutes." <laughs> And I love it because, you know, it just sometimes takes that time, but you just seem to have it innately in you.
4: Uh, true. I think panicking is the first step toward failure. It doesn't matter what you are going to do next. If you banicked, if you reacted instead of acting, you will react. Um, if you react uh, based on a dark emotion, which is anger, uh, uh, hate, uh, revenge, whatever, you already lost. That's something I understood. So um, I did... Uh, when I asked the questions, would you do the same if I was holding a Canadian or Australian or USA or any Europe passport, would you do the same? Uh, when I discovered the answer that no, he will not do the same, the story was no longer a personal for me. It was general now. It was about my, uh, It's not. it was not me, Hassan, the individual, it was me, Hassan, the Syrian, so uh, Uh, I decided to speak out. And when I start with the media, I felt the responsibility that uh, um, I did nothing for my people's since all the uh, since the syrian war started since 2011 i did nothing to uh, to help the cause uh, to support the revolution or to speak out about syrian and now i have the chance i have the global stage uh, with uh, i have the world attention i need to behave i need to do something good but i uh, I acted, to be honest, uh, naturally. Um, I always, with, with the media, I always forget that behind this mobile, like now, uh, behind the camera here, uh, there are people who are listening. That I, w- I will speak to the individual as individual. So I always uh, try to remind myself that this is not a mobile. This is millions of people who are watching, but I could not. Um, why I have it? Because I have a, an optimistic uh optimistic uh, personality but there's more Uh, there's something i cannot explain and uh, i don't normally speak about it because it's like an internal sensation and people may not understand it or may not find the logic or the sense behind it Uh, even during the time i was illegal in uae i knew that something is going to happen to me i was waiting that thing I knew that this is not the end. I was, I felt that something is about to happen, and something is about to change. I knew that my destiny is something different. I was waiting for it. I did not know what it was, but I knew, when I was at the airport, I knew that okay, this is it, and uh, that's why um, uh, that's why I did what I did at the airport, and uh, I wanted to make after years of. Uh, uh, failing my family and uh, my late father, I wanted to be proud of me. I want to do something to them and to my people. I uh, and I discovered with the first media interview, and it was with the Canadian media, CBC. As it happened, I uh, closed the phone. And uh, I smiled. i uh, It's like I discover, rediscovered myself. I said, I miss this guy. I knew that this is me. And I was hiding for years, uh, being afraid and scared. And this is me. I smiled. From that time on, it did not matter what was going to happen. Uh, even if they jailed me, uh, send me back to Syria, bring me to Canada, I did something I'm proud of now. i uh, I did not. Uh, go down without a fight, and uh, uh, I told my story, and that was enough.
3: Amazing. Well, thank, thank you. you, and thank you for thank that you. answer. I just, I can't. It, it's just, it's so hard to imagine someone else's story. You know, you fly somewhere, and then you're told you can't come in. You, they fly you right back. Like, you're, you're an inspiration for sure. Thank you. Thank you.
4: you. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Well, Hassan, this has just been an absolute privilege. And as we mentioned at the beginning of the conversation, uh, World Refugee Day is being recognized Sunday, June the 20th. And uh, we have the agency, MAPBC. It's a multi-agency partnership, BC. And they're hosting online celebrations with poetry and stories. There's workshops and concerts. It's actually happening from today until the 20th. And you can go to mapbc.org slash events, which I'll put in the chat here um, to check that out. And and then for Hassan's book, The Man at the Airport, his his book is available for purchase. And you truly have been such an inspiration. And I've heard you speak about gratitude in particular and how that's been a real outcome from all of this. And, and we are most grateful for... Um, your courage, your courage, yes. uh, your inspiration. I know that you are working to support and advocate for others. And, um, you know, when it comes to the gratitude, we just, none of us ever really knows what's occurring in somebody else's life. We really have no ability to be aware of that. And as you've mentioned, uh, we all have a lot of privilege. We all have a lot of things that we take for granted. And, you um, and it's an opportunity to perhaps really look at that privilege. How can we share that privilege with others? How can we recognize when we're not sharing that privilege with others? And how can we be deeply grateful for what we have in our lives so that we're not contributing to issues regarding discrimination or any other sorts of things that are going on? So I would really love to thank you for this. And um, you, like I say, you can go to... Uh, mapbc.org for the events that are going to be celebrated. It's all online, and uh, and then check out Hassan's book at Man at the Airport. And thank, thank you, you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you
4: for pleasure. inviting me. Thank you very much. Wish you all a very good evening, or afternoon, or whatever it is. <laughs>
1: <laughs> your days are still mixed up, even that many years later. <laughs> <laughs> and I think our host has uh, a wonderful musical dedication that she's going to share with all of us to, to spend the rest of our time together. Thank you, everybody.
4: Thank you. Bye-bye.
0: Thank you so much for sharing for this a difficult time and that the way that you're using your experience to give uh, advice, inspiration to others, and then connecting with the Red Cross in that you haven't forgotten the people that are still in the struggle um, of being a refugee, trying to get accepted into a country. And as you said, too, to not look at refugees like the icon that's uh, on some things, people fleeing across the freeway, but the icon of people that bring mathematical skills, engineering, just love and culture. So um, there is going to be a World Refugee Concert on Sunday, and uh, you're going to be talking about that as well. And there is, as um, Nancy said, at www.mapbc.org, you'll be able to learn more about that. Uh, this weekend is also uh, Juneteenth. It's another uh, sharing and talking about a very difficult time or ugly time within the United States where even though emancipation had occurred, uh, they Managed to not get the word to Texas for two years later, and all across the country, people were sending their slaves to uh, to Texas, and there were people coming into Canada and taking freed people. So, uh, the U.S. government is just now this weekend voting on making Juneteenth a federal holiday, and uh, here in Vancouver. Someone is going to be having a Juneteenth uh, festival and celebration at the the uh, art gallery.